Welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan. This is part two of our discussion with Charles Soule. We hope you enjoy. I am curious, actually, uh, in this time, this is just for the the relevant for the because it's a hot topic right now. You you make a book uh, at Oni, yeah, uh, uh, called Letter Forty Four. Uh huh. Um. And uh, it's a great book. I, I love Letter 44 very much. Um, it, it has to do with aliens and our government covering them up. Yep. And I'm wondering now in today's hot news media cycle about aliens and our government covering it up, how you feel about that and if the government has spoken to you. Okay. The government has not spoken to me. Uh, I'm sorry. Which is which is too bad, but I know people like I know people in the government, and sure. and I have have kind of thought about it a little bit, like reaching out and just seeing. But I, I mean, come on, what? How I'm not going to be able to reach out in any way that's secure enough for them to be willing to talk to me. So like we could go meet on a park bench in D.C. maybe, and I don't know, like some something like that. But I, but I'm very aware of it. I think it is. So so for the listeners out there not familiar with Letter Forty Four, it is a 36 issue series that came up from Oni Press in like 20, started in 2012 and went through about 2015. And it is about a, it starts with a US president who gets elected on his first day of office. He reads that secret letter in the Oval Office that the previous president leaves for him. And that tells him, guess what? Aliens are real. We've known about it for a while. We set, they're building something in the asteroid belt. We sent up an, a mission to, to go make contact with them. They're almost there. And all of that is your problem now. And so the president, has his his agenda is is flipped over basically the things he thought he was going to do have are all completely washed away by this incredible revelation so and and i go through the idea that the government's been keeping it secret and all the ideas about disclosure and when do you disclose and what is it going to do to the to the the mindset of the human race to know that the aliens are out there and all of those things and i i I'm a huge science fiction fan, as I, again, as I'm sure we all are on this podcast. And it was my opportunity to 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 write a science fiction epic on a, in a robust, deeply thought through kind of way. And I that's when I first started meeting people at NASA who were willing to meet with me and advise me, uh, which was amazing. I got to tour like rocket factories and talk to them about like I have a, like an astronomer friend of mine who is always available. For, like I can just text him and say, I, you know, how like one, I remember one question he helped me with that was incredibly useful is how, like how far does gravity extend from, like how weak does gravity get from a central point if you're in a spinning, like a spinning spacecraft? Like if you're, you know, if you're in the center of the cylinder, is, are you at like full gravity? Then how quickly does it weaken? Is it like much weaker out toward the end? And he's like, well, here's the formula, which was really, it's very cool to be able to access people like that and just ask them questions. So what do I think about the alien stuff? Um, like uh, I, I assume you'd be really surprised. Like you read a lot of Star Wars. If a Star War broke out, you'd be like, "Whoa!" But we're kind of living in a Letter Forty Four period, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's very much like that. It feels like a 
it feels like, I mean, what I, what I think has happened is that the US government has encountered things that it cannot unexplain at this point, mm -hmm. like the like the, the pills and the various things that have happened yeah. there that suggest something like that they they can't figure out. It just suggests technology levels and 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 just shenanigans happening that, that they don't have an answer for. And so the US government, particularly the US military, going public and saying, we don't know what the fuck these things are is undermining in a way that they didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So I think they've known about this stuff for a long time, but have not wanted to talk about it publicly because of the, like, it doesn't, it's not a good look basically. Yeah. But now with ever since 2017, with those, the videos that came out and the increasing sort of like pressure to, to sort of just say, okay, this is happening. These things are here. We don't understand them. I, th there's a, there's a, there's kind of a, a theory in UFO or UAP circles that, that the way that this is being done is on a slow burn on purpose to mm -hmm. let us get used to the idea that we're being, we've been visited and, and we are being visited. And they're like, we're not only are there alien civilizations out there, but they are aware of us mm -hmm. and they are interacting with us for some purpose. So, but that's a big thing to drop on the world on day one. So they've been slowly spinning it out. And, and there's various versions of the theory that say like Hollywood movies uh, have been and TV shows have been trying to yeah. set us up for this and so on and so forth for a long time. I don't know if I completely buy that, uh, but, you know, I guess we'll see when they show up and what they're actually like. If, you know, if they look a lot like like the, the aliens from V with lizard faces, then we'll know what was going on there. Yeah, sure. But really, um, that, so that's kind of what I think is happening is that there is something. I mean, the, there's no like if there is, if there isn't, there is something. We just mm -hmm. can't explain it yet. And I think we are, we're on a slow burn toward this is what's happening. And let's, let's, you know, we all need to focus on it and, and see what we can do about it. Uh, but it's all going to be okay, is kind of what I think is going on. I think it's only going to be okay if they all show up and they're all just like Seth Rogen's Paul. <laughs> that's the dream <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's it's like that or you know or et but et can't really communicate or smoke pot so i'm i'm kind of hoping with it, yeah. yeah it's, it's paul i'm well, the one that gets it i don't know i mean what do you what do you like matt what do you think it is um you know i don't mm, there I'm an idiot. And so there's a lot of things in the world. That... You've got a whole podcast. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's true. I, I, once You've you got figure the out... most successful podcast in the world, Matthew. What do you mean? I, I, yeah. And looking around at the other most successful podcasts, I can tell that I clearly means I am an Very intellectual titan. Yeah. Uh, I'm an idiot. So there's a lot of things in the world that I look at and go, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how that works. Mm -hmm. And then having another thing having other people come and be like this is a thing we don't understand and we can't explain i'm like welcome to the club it doesn't necessarily point in one direction or another to me i definitely believe that there is life in the universe just on the mathematical idea that yeah, there yeah it's just mathematically impossible not to believe that i think at this point if you uh can even try and comprehend the vastness and immensity of space uh things from other 
planets being here i i just have a like an emotional hard time with it and i think it's because i'm such a science fiction kid was such a like grew up with that stuff so much that like i don't know it 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 i don't I'm okay just being like, well, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> like, how, do you, how do you feel about the other two, like, you know, big, I mean, I guess there's three real, like, scenarios that get tossed around, which are, um, it's not aliens, it's like the dimension next door. Sure. Kind of like in, uh, in Crystal Skull, the classic Indiana Jones 4 sure. film. Um, the space between spaces, brother. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> One of four of us can quote Crystal Skull, clearly. <laughs> yeah. um, so that or time travel. Well, time travel, yeah. Or uh, it is it is advanced um, human technology that just has been kept incredible, like some other. Uh, like that it. is that is obviously the easiest one to sort of grasp. Is advanced. I don't think that's the case, though. Really. I don't. I, it's hard to imagine, but I that one does sort of. I mean, you know, the the balloon thing the last couple months of being like, there's spy balloons, and then finding out that, you know, the Canadian and American government shot down a bunch of kids' weather balloons. I was like, we're not doing great at stuff all the time. Like, we get in our heads a thing, and, and we get pretty excited about it, and... um. So I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm working slowly, working my way through a, a project about time travel, and I definitely don't believe in it. <laughs> thinking, oh, yeah. sp- spending so much time thinking about it, I'm like, no, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't. I don't see time as a as a you know, not to use the overused, but time as a flat circle. Like, time time is a is a time isn't something that moves it's something that you just notice happening it happens to you but it's always there so moving through it doesn't make sense to me as a concept uh it's fun to explore but yeah i think time travel is a tricky one but i don't think the i mean with all the discoveries that have been being made lately with quantum stuff um i don't necessarily i mean you could call it quantum media even yeah um i don't (laughs) write that down uh uh-huh that's good uh I don't, I, that one seems, I could see that one being the reason for all this stuff going on, maybe. Also, is it just an ad for the next Transformers movie? Is this a long play to get us excited for Transformers 10? I don't <laughs> think that's unrealistic. I think it's going to be called Rise of the Beasts 2. Rise of the Beasts, Transformers 10, Rise of the Beasts 2? Yeah. Uh, the UFOs all put on like a little drone show, and it's there like was a there was a the transformer who was a UFO, and I really liked him. The green, he was green and yellow. I don't know his name. He was tiny. Cosmo, Cosmo. is that I right? Cosmo, yeah, yeah. Look at you. I remember him. You should be writing Transformers comics. Well, when they bring the Transformers yeah. in with the GI Joe stuff, yeah. they're Told like, you. "Did you um, know Transformers? Did you know that there are aliens?" And the Transformers are like, "I mean, yeah." Yeah, we're kind of aliens. We're not from, and they're like, sure. "Oh, right." Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, it's exciting. It's exciting. This was more of a digression. I just want to talk about Letter Forty Four for a minute, but but mm-hmm. I'm I'm fascinated that you is this something you cared about before you wrote the book? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've always I, just cared about it. Real, like I used to have horrible nightmares uh, when I was little about alien abduction stuff, um, and I would watch like In Search of or mm-hmm. Unsolved Mysteries, or um, Fire in the Sky, sure, yeah. uh, which is maybe the most terrifying movie ever put on film. That's pretty um, terrifying, yeah. 
It's very intense. So I, when I was little, I, my bedroom that I share with my younger brother had a big, uh, like big, big picture. One wall was basically like a big glass sliding door. Mm -hmm. And um, outside it was like a little, very, very small, like terrace, big enough to stand on, but not enough to like, you know, hang out on. Mm -hmm. And there was like a, a, you know, a curtain that would go across it at night so that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the thing. And I used to have like over and over and over, like the point where I would think about it when I was awake, the, the, the vision of, of pulling the curtain pole Mm-hmm. There, Something literally, started. like five inches away on the other side of the glass, was one of those grays, yeah. just standing there, like and had been standing there for who knows how long. And sure. it's giving, like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. So, it's always been an evocative idea for me, and and getting to kind of write about it, Letter Forty Four was super cool. So, uh, you've done a lot of work that I think uh, I'm always intrigued because you you do your your She Hulk run, which obviously pulls a lot on your legal experience you do 27 which pulls a lot on your musicianship and your love of making music and now we're finding out that letter 44 is sort of this long-standing uh interest you've had in aliens your whole life and Mm -hmm. um that idea and obviously uh death of wolverine is based on your hatred of wolverines the animal and um i'm curious where stuff like you seem to put a lot of yourself, your personal into your work. And I'm curious, then you start getting into curse words and 8 billion genies. And uh, like, what's going on with that? That's okay. a lot of, that's a lot of uh, wizards and, and genies and magic all of a sudden. I, um, I don't know. Like, I mean, like Zadarsky is another friend of the show mm-hmm. uh, is, is is comics current jokester i guess joke sure, man sure. um but i also like to laugh <laughs> and and i also enjoy the idea of making other people laugh from time to time uh-huh. which is not i don't think that's necessarily the um the adjective that people would necessarily associate with me and my work very often um the i think you're you're Calculating uh, adjective is maybe something that clearly stuck with me, but all right. Um, but but I guess like sort of I, I think I think if I were to describe my own work, there's always a lot of like it's a lot of real high concepts and a lot of puzzle by puzzle box like execution of those concepts. Sure. Like really, you know, twisty turning narratives that that clip together in a really deeply satisfying way at the end. That's what I always kind of try to do. Mm-hmm. So where do things like weird, like surreal humor books that are very funny and very like weird um, that are almost just sort of dream logic-y like 8 billion genies or curse words come from? And part of it is that that is very much part of what I like to do. I, I like the idea of like, you know, just like weird, weird twists and turns in the stories that you cannot see coming because you would have to have exactly my brain or mine and Ryan Brown's brain to see coming. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think surprise is one of the most underrated narrative techniques that people don't talk about that much. Like just be like, we call it twists and things like that, but being just like surprised, like, Oh, Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Like that is a powerful emotion as much as, Oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I feel, I feel like turned on or like whatever the emotion a a work generates. I Mm -hmm. think surprise is super powerful too. And 
where I put the surprise stuff is the Ryan Brown stuff, because we come up with ideas that let us, they're designed from the beginning to let us do whatever we want. And a lot of that came from initial times we would just hang out and just try to make each other laugh. And this would be like convention bar settings and things like that. Sure. And there was like, I remember this game, which is not quite as like, this is years and years ago. Um, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem quite as fun and funny now, but it was, it, it was called there's a cop. And uh -huh. the idea was you're at the bar and you're sitting around and you're like, and there's a cop. And you would be, you would describe a cop who has various attributes in addition to being a cop. So like, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a cop and they are, um, I mean, it, it, you know, and they also happen to be a robot. Uh -huh. And so that would be RoboCop, obviously. Then you could do that with different things. Like, uh, this is not very funny. I'm, I'm out of practice, but like, there's a cop who is also a cow and that would be a bull cop. Uh -huh. yeah, not as good, but like, like read there it. was a time when we were very good at there's a cop and it was always very, we would come up with very funny things. Yeah. To, anyway. So the point is that for many, many years, Ryan Brown and I've been making each other laugh with dumb bullshit. Sure. And uh, we decided to start turning it into comic books and it has, it has turned out to be a very successful formula that we are excited about and are excited about continuing to do. Yeah. I'm, uh, how much of that sort of being surprised and making each other laugh, obviously like less on 8 billion genies because that's a pretty small tight knit kind of story, but like curse words is kind of a big epic of a book. Yeah. How yeah. much of that, like trying to make each other laugh and, and, and have these twists is, is, is something you discover as you go. How much of the book, how much of curse words is something that like, evolved while you made it or did you know what it was exactly well, going in we i knew the I, and this is true with most of my long-running creator-owned things i know the feel of the ending i know the emotional state that we're trying to get to mm -hmm. and i know the general shape of what the ending could look like that can change and it often does but i i know what it should feel like as we elevate toward that point yeah um with with curse words there is a lot of like if you read a script I write for Ryan, there's a ton of stuff in it that I only have in there to entertain him. Sure. Um, like there was a script during Curse Words where I spent like two pages explaining the plot of all of Star Wars to him because I wanted him to draw something that looked kind of like a lightsaber. And so I'm like, well, you know, um, because why not, right? It's a sure. good time. Like, you're, you know, you're having fun. And, uh, and so he will often draw things in the comic little background gags or create a character or something that i had not considered and then all of a sudden i'm like well that's cool i can make something awesome out of that banana person and then <laughs> the next issue all of a sudden is is return of the banana man or whatever it is yeah and so there's there's a lot of that there's a lot of leaving sequences open for him to draw and then i'll dialogue after um and so we keep it it's definitely he gets full script for sure paneled out full scripts so i know the beats that have to be precise land sure. like i'm still very meticulous about it but there's a lot of room and there's a lot of trust in our creative process at this point uh you know even in even in genies which was an eight issue very very tight like clockwork kind of yeah. story there's a lot a lot of stuff in that that is just we just kind of made up on the fly um mm -hmm. which which is part of the joy of working with somebody that you really like trust creatively and uh, i think it like 
there are there are duos in comics that you can think of who like who work on this level like Bruebert and Phillips is a great example um, but there's there's others like just sort of writer artist teams who really have been able to do really cool things together and I'm not going to put Ryan and me on that level uh, but we really really like making comics together and so yeah. I you know assuming that continues I, I think you'll get a lot of stuff from us in the years to come. Do, do you feel like um, obviously when you do a big two book or, you know, do a Marvel book or whatever, you're often put, a, the team is assembled. You're not assembling your mm -hmm. own mm -hmm. creative team and, and the relationships aren't what they were, but creatively you're talking about sort of leaving stuff in the middle open. Um, do you feel like the relationship with Ryan uh, allows for that to happen or the fact that it's an image book and it's your own thing? Like, could you do that at Marvel? Is that something you're interested in doing at yeah. Marvel? Yeah, I, I, I am doing that at Marvel now on a book that I'm pretty sure I've told you about, but has not yes. been publicly announced. So I'm not going to talk about it here, but I'm, and you know the artist that it's with. And so sure. you might be thinking, huh, that's an interesting person yeah. to do that with. But it's working really well. It, it, it is making the writing challenging in a way that I I didn't anticipate because he's he's doing things like, you know, 18 page grids and, and things that I was not anticipating he would do or 18 panel grids, which yeah, is yeah. like things that I was not anticipating he would do. And that results in like, if I, if I like the way I'm writing that script is, is, is plot and dialogue. So, you know, page four, this is what happens on it. This is the, the way the conversation yeah. is going to flow. And this is what people are feeling. And then you get that gets turned into an 18 page grid, which means you essentially can't have a conversation. You have to have little bits of conversation and where yeah. do you drop it in and what do you do? And if there's like a picture of a shoe, like he decides to put that in it, like how do you turn that into the story you're trying to tell? And um, I am the closest thing I can, I can liken it to is, is, is the sort of back, back and forth in jazz. And uh, I've played a lot of jazz in my day and you just kind of, you find the way through, right? You, even if it's, even if it's challenging, it's really about the, the noises that the other people and that you're working with are, are giving you. And this is a lot of, I almost said his name, this person is giving me a lot of stuff and I am now like trying to figure out how to just do it. It's really, it's really complicated, but it's, it's also very joyful. It's something I haven't really done that much. And so um, getting to stretch my wings in, in a new direction is, is very fun. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily just the image of it at all. Um, and I think different writers are different or different artists are different. Like right now I'm working with in the creator owned space, uh, Ryan Brown, um, Giuseppe Camicoli and Undiscovered Country, who I've worked with for a long time and Will Sliney on the Strata College stuff. Uh, and Albert and Alberta Albuquerque is actually drawing the second Strata College story. So it's those four people. Uh, the, the key is that I've worked with all of those people before. And so I know how they work. I know where their strengths are. I know what I can do with them. You know, just like you, I mean, you, you work with the same yep. people over and over again, too. There's really something about the working relationship that develops over time. That's really powerful. And I'm, I'm very flattered by it, honestly. I mean, these are people who don't have to, they could work with anybody, like most of them, could very easily do their own thing and they they are choosing to work with me anyway which is which is pretty cool so i wanted to talk just uh ask about eight billion genies again because eight billion genies to me um i remember you talking to me about it telling me the premise and i was like that's one of the craziest premises for a book i've ever heard i loved it uh and then you were like yeah ryan's gonna draw it and i was like 
it just got even weirder and I, I understand that it's going to be weirder. And then I saw it in execution. I was like, oh, it's so smart. It's so brilliant how it's like so contained and then it grows bigger and crazier. And, um, and, and, and this is not a statement about its quality because I think it's a great book. Were you caught off guard? I feel like the reaction of that book has been Titanic. Were you caught off guard by that? Is that something you anticipated? Like, it's such a strange book. It's a it's a strange concept, and the execution is strange. And and like, I I I tend to be a, a, one of the people who's like who who thinks there's a romanticism in the in the beauty of the strange and the weird, but knowing that they won't find an audience often. And this one really mm-hmm. did, and like that sort of breaks the mold. Did that? How do you feel about that? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really fair question. I I would say, I, whenever I make anything, I am always. It it always is what I consider my best work at the time. Like I never half-ass anything, but I also have been in this business long enough to know that it is very very difficult to find a significant audience for any creative work unless it is Star Wars, and so like, that's the only thing I've done that you can pretty much guarantee eyeballs on it, regardless of quality level, you know, which is not a commentary on Star Wars. I love Star Wars. We all love Star Wars, but it is, it is, that will bring an audience positive and negative regardless, but everything else is, you just have no idea. And so what I, so, so that's kind of thing one thing two is that the success level of 8 billion genies is is us is like unprecedented within my own career and also kind of impo- you cannot anticipate that level of success for a comic book. Sure. Like yeah. It was, and I don't know if we ever talked, we have ever talked about it explicitly and I'm not going to do it here. This is more of a, a sitting at the, yeah. you know, sitting on that park bench conversation, but it vastly exceeded even my highest possible expectations for what a, a creator on comic book would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so there's that. At the same time, I I thought there was something very universal about the idea of exploring everybody has one wish and what is the what is the thing that everybody wishes for. And so I didn't think it would go as big as it did, but I thought it was going to be something that would probably be more accessible to general audiences than Curse Words was. Um, because Curse Words is is a very weird story about an evil wizard who goes who who comes to a to this world from like a hell dimension where he's he's the baddest of all and he decides he's going to pretend to be a good wizard so people will like him because everyone in the old world hates him and he's like well they don't have magic here so i'll give them something they don't have and they will love me and i will feel like i'll feel awesome but it he's 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 not a good guy and so it goes goes poorly but that's i mean that's cool and it made an incredibly cool comic book but it is also not as as universal as everyone can get their heart's desire if they just ask for it how does that work when everybody on the entire planet can get it? Um, I think Ryan and I did both did the work of our careers so far on it. I think his cartooning and, and, and my, like all of my strengths in terms of the, that Swiss watch kind of plotting and planning, uh, coupled with like characters and emotional beats that really landed. Um, I think it's the best thing. I don't know. I, I think that and my new novel are the two best things I've, I've ever done. And so it's, it feels like I'm in this really good creative place right now. Um, but it also creates a ton of pressure. Like we're building the new, th- Ryan and I are building the next thing right now. And it's, it's very, do we counter program? Do we, yeah. do we lean into what, what we did with genies? Do we, 
uh, not worry at all about how it's going to be received. How do we handle the the fact that we had been told by our like our team that like Hollywood is asking repeatedly, what is the next thing they're going to do? Like, there's all of these yeah. weird elements to it now that like we kind of get a freebie to a degree on the next project. And how do we spend that credit? How do we use it? Yeah. So it's really it's really interesting. I we have settled on an idea that we both like. Uh, we both like a lot. We both see the potential in. I would not say we like. We're like at the point where we're deep enough into it that we love it, love it yet. Like we have the premise. We have a lot of the sort of the the feel of it and the beats of it. We don't have the characters fully fleshed out yet. Like there's a there's a, a specific design element that Ryan is kicking around and we're talking about, and all of those things are what really contribute to making something that stands out. It's mm-hmm. it's built around a premise that we've seen a lot of storytelling done around in the past, and so if we're gonna do it, it needs to be as unique and fresh as Genie was. So Genie's was. So it's it's really hard. I don't I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We're working on it. <laughs> Uh, no, I, the, the, you're talking about that, that stage fright, obviously we didn't have the level of success that you guys had with, with genies, but like when me and Tyler boss made four kids walking to a bank, I've told this story before, but like we started our next book and we were, we were pretty far into it. He was doing character designs and I was writing the first issue and I just sat there and was like, we're doing the same fucking book again. Like we're doing, and the temptation to just be like, this worked, people like it, let's give it to them is so powerful. And yeah. so like, and yet is so counter, like you had something that was a success because you did something different because you stepped outside your comfort zone. Right. Yep. And and then weighing whether or not you found your lane or your best when you step outside your comfort zone is such an interesting problem to have. And what we ended up doing was throwing that book out or rather sticking a pin in it and, and being like, let's move further outside our comfort zone, but make something completely different. And that's what, uh, that's how what's the furthest place from here started. But there was another book that was basically four kids walking to a bank, but sci-fi. And I was like, this sucks. It sucks to do this. And I, I don't envy you guys the challenge of being like, following 8 billion genies and you know there has to be the conversation where you're like should it be 9 billion genies like is that our next book honestly that was that was a huge discussion that we had and it was it was a very challenging discussion because you know if you have this property that you know people love that you know you will make significant money from if you just make more uh do you do it and and we we talked about it a lot and and ultimately we're we're not going to right now like we'll do I mean, never say never. I would be very surprised if, like, if we don't go back to do more genies, particularly if like movie and TV show stuff happens. Like, we'd be fools not to do at least some. But the we we decided after some, it, it was not an easy, quick decision. After some real back and forth on it, to do another thing because the thinking was, if we can cement ourselves as people who who do things that are as good as eight billion genies as opposed to just doing 8 billion genies, it puts us in this in this incredibly difficult to achieve bucket, which mm-hmm. is where we'd like to be. And so why not swing for the fences on it? And so that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. Um, I just had one more question before we, before we wrap it up. I don't know if uh, the other guys had a question, but um, you have sort of made a name for yourself. Can as, I ask any questions from them? You don't have to. It's optional whether or not you do. They're like... 
you know, you get bonus points if you do. Charles, 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 what happened to the droid at the beginning of the Phantom Menace? Did it die when did Qui-Gon cut it in half when the gas came in? What happened? There I gotta go. know, man. TC-17? <laughs> TC-17, silver droid with the, the, the tray. Uh, uh, he was just... Lady, she was just Lady Three. Yeah, we all know yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Where's she been? Anyway. I gotta know. Are Matt, you bringing her back? What were you saying, Matt? I was gonna say, you're... Uh, <laughs> You're you've done a lot of uh, worked on a lot of this property called Star Wars. Yes, that some people know about. You yeah. you including you, on this phone call. In, yeah, you did some Star Wars on this phone call. You but you you know you went from doing a comic to sort of being the comic of Star Wars, being obviously all the comics matter, but uh, you're writing the, the flagship book, and then you're doing. A novel that's a New York Times bestseller, if I'm not mistaken, and then number one uh, New York Times bestseller. What number one New York Times bestseller? Well, you know what, numbers aren't as important. It's just nice to be on the list. Okay, all right. Um, and then uh, you you actually ended up getting sucked up into the Lucasfilm machine and 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 working for them as a as a consultant, and a lot of that is uh, resulted in this this the era of star Wars we're now exploring in novels and video games and comics and all these other things, this new era that you are part of a group that created. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't really have, a, I, I just wrote down talk about star Wars on my little notes here because I, I'm very insightful. I, I'm such a, well, I'm such a star Wars nerd and I, I did do a little bit of star Wars stuff. I did, you know, the, the one Oh eight, issue 108 the seminal uh non non-canon issue and i did a, a video game tie-in miniseries and that was that was fine and the uh but the thing that the thing more than anything and i love the marvel universe and i love the dc universe and i love playing with those toys but i also know uh based on the jokes that you make on the slack that i think only i get um, when you're talking about, you know, people cheating at Sabacc or, you know, like whatever your fucking incredibly nerdy Star Wars jokes are. I know that Star Wars is something that's incredibly important to you. Yeah. And I, uh, like I said, I love the Marvel Universe. I love the DC Universe. But Star Wars holds a special place for me and I think for you. Yep. Um, and, and I felt very much when I worked on it like a little bit like what I was doing was fake and a little bit like, I don't want to know how any of this is made. Like, I don't want to see how the sausage is made a little bit. I don't want to look peek behind the curtain. And now you are spearheading such a large corner of the universe. Um, How does that feel for you as a fan? That's a real, that, that question is, is is kind of complicated because my my relationship to Star Wars is on some level exactly the way it always has been, which is mm-hmm. when a new Star Wars thing comes out, I am like, I am trillion percent in. I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to play it. Can't wait to read it. Whatever. Um, at the same time, you know, I am I am as you said, I am I am deeply in it now. Like I'm not mm-hmm. just writing a comic book i'm i'm like in 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 a lot of different because i have this consulting role for them now so i i i get to talk to people about projects that are in development in all kinds of places including projects that that maybe don't end up going or or are um 
very far from from fruition and so they they might you know the the there's there's always kind of this swirling undercurrent of of stuff in development in Star Wars and everywhere really but but sure. in Star Wars where you know it, it might exist and it might not and that was true even in in George Lucas's day you think about things like 1313 and and um you know lots of lot detours like lots yeah, of projects that, that exist but that didn't didn't make it to the audience time so I think what I, I guess the way I would say is I know now intimately how difficult it is to make really good Star Wars. It is an incredibly challenging zone that, that feels like it shouldn't be that hard, but it is really difficult from the, from the way language works in it to the, the technology that's used to the, to the, to even, even beyond that, like the, the places you can push and pull that won't immediately break it and make people call you names on the internet. Right. The, 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 the ways you can bring new elements in that people will accept, um, the ways you use old elements or existing elements in a way that people will accept and not think that you've destroyed the character. All of that is this super, super finely tuned instrument, uh, that is like, you know, um, like, you know, you ever play a theremin? Sure. Yeah. You know how it's like really, really difficult to get tonation, right? Tonality, mm -hmm. right? There. I mean, like it's the tiniest little thing and you've screwed it up or a violin. Violin's even a better example. Like they're just, it's just really hard. No. And, um, and then, so getting all of that right, plus uh, putting some emotion into it and artistry into it, it is, it is really, really difficult in a way that I believe writing for Marvel and DC even isn't because Marvel and DC a lot is much more flexible about yeah. like the takes right so the so the you know my run on daredevil mark wade's run on daredevil uh chips run on daredevil and and saladin's run on daredevil are all going to be they're going to they're all going to be daredevil but they might as well be brand new versions of that character sure yeah. but yet, if people kind of like you know they they dig it anyway right it's all it's all it's all part of it's all kind of part of the accepted experience whereas as we've seen star wars is much less flexible about that kind of thing mm -hmm. um so, so in terms of how I feel about it, I feel very proud, honestly, that, that I'm able to play that instrument as well as I seem to be able to, based on the fact that they still keep asking me to do it. Um, I am, I, I am not surprised that it, it's, it seems like it is really, like it's hard to make, to make sure. really awesome Star Wars. And since we're getting more Star Wars than we've really ever had, um, it's it's just interesting to see so many different takes on it and and people with different views about what it is and what it should be. So I'm here for all of it. I still remain a, a gigantic fan. Um, you know, having created the High Republic along with my my four fellow architects is a huge thing for me because it feels like it is a corner of the galaxy that is 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 really fresh and and allows for um, uh, sort of a flexibility within Star Wars that is really that is really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I remember once I had this. I think I've thought about it many times because I feel like I try really hard not to not to be an asshole to to you know and and to not um, not to ever like big time people and in the, at least not in a way that they don't obviously know is joking and, and so on and so forth. Um, but there was a time when we were talking about Star Wars and like you and I were, and you yeah. were, we were talking about Star Wars comics and all that stuff. And I said, basically, I get to do it because I have a PhD in Star Wars. Do you remember uh, this? No. Well, it, I felt, I've, I've felt bad about it ever since because oh. like, 
so do you, right? And and just because I I have a deep, deep, deep knowledge of Star Wars doesn't mean that you don't, or that that really qualifies you more. So I'm taking this opportunity to publicly apologize for that. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I don't think uh, you need to. I, I just uh, spent a long time Googling how to get a PhD in Star Wars and got nothing, but <laughs> yeah. I can't get uh, that time back, so. <laughs> so... I don't know. I, I I love it. I as far as I know, I'm I'm not going anywhere in Star Wars. I'm going to be in it for for a while yet. I have I have stuff into 2025 that I know I'm I know I'm going to be working on. Um, and I assume after you know there's there's all kinds of things stirring around. So we'll see. Um, I guess just one follow up, and then we'll we'll wrap. But can you tell us? You know, you don't have to spoil everything. But but how does Star Wars end? Like, what's the end of it? What does it look like at the end? Yes, uh, that is that is a great question. Um, Thank you. Well, Yoda Yoda comes back. Oh shit! And um, has like tons of tons of babies. Wow! So there's like so many baby Yodas, and that's he tall. Is he tall? Yoda goes back. He's he's tall. Um, yeah, tall Yoda, lots of babies. This sounds awesome. I'm definitely gonna check this Star Wars thing out. You sold yep. me. Yeah, I mean that's going to be a while out because it takes. He has to have a lot of babies. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I get it. It's going to be a long time coming, and and mm-hmm. it sounds awesome when it gets here. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. But more than that, Charles, I'm looking forward to all the stuff you're working on. The book with Ryan that you haven't quite figured out what it is. The book with blank person that you can't quite talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your continuing image books. Um, and everything else you're working on and all the Star Wars stuff. Uh, I'm always so excited when you have new stuff. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come and hang out with us. Well, thanks, Charles. I really appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of part two of our discussion with Charles Soule. Make sure to check out The Endless Vessel, The Bloody Dozen, and Star Wars, as well as everything else Charles was working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at Charles Soule. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.